chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, I heard a, a small clip a little over a week ago, actually uh, Nick Rotaco sent it out to a few of us guys, it was Paul Washer, and a little small clip on the love of God, and uh, since I heard that, it was, just, it was just so good, I just couldn't get away from just meditating on that subject of God's love, and so that's what this has kind of come out of, uh, just meditating and thinking upon that and just having that desire uh, to want to talk about the love of God uh, today. I don't know if I'll get off. All right, I'll try. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, let's read verse 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, uh, knowing a tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that... Whew, not only that, <laughs> but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ for whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we ask for your help today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we uh, seek to proclaim and to teach on your love to us as your people. And I pray that it would comfort challenge, it would encourage, it would set us free, Father, that it would help us, Lord, as your people to have a better grasp of this love that you have for us, and Lord, that we would share that love with one another, with others, that we would go out in this world, that we would live in the reality of that love that you have for us. And Lord, that that love that you have for us would just be so attractive unto, unto others that they would see that and want that love and know that love for themselves. Father, I pray that as you've appointed me as pastor here, Lord, I pray that you enable me this morning by your grace, Lord, to expound upon, to proclaim, to encourage your people through the love that you have for them. I pray for your help this morning. I desperately need it. In Jesus' name, and amen. 
I don't suppose that there is anything that I could talk about any more this morning or being of any more importance to us as the people of God than to expound unto us the, the love of God in which He has for us. I know I could never exhaust the subject, for the love of God can never be exhausted, for it is uh, unending in nature. So I could never ever speak about it enough, this I know. But as a pastor, it is my desire to help us to understand this love that God has for us more fully. I have said this many times, maybe not lately, but I know it is so important for us as parents that we express to our children that we love them. And that we express that love to them and that in a God-like fashion and that it is a love that is not based upon their performance. It is a love that's not based upon how good they are. It is a love solely based upon who they are to us, that they are our child. And that is it. And you can be surprised in raising your children and expressing that kind of love to your kids, how that that can affect them and how they see you, how they relate to you. To know that there is nothing that they can possibly do to make you love them any more than what you already do. As parents, that is the kind of love we need to express into our children, a love that is unconditional, a love that is not based upon merit. A love that says, you know, whether you're good or bad, I'm going to love you because you are my child, and that is it. Now, if they are being bad, that love is expressed in different ways by us through loving discipline, but it does not mean that we love them any less. And I think that it's empowering as a parent to let your children know that. My desire for us as a church is to understand that kind of love that we have from God, and only when we understand that kind of love that we have from God can we possibly express that kind of love unto other people. Only when we understand that kind of love that we have from our Father in Heaven can we properly express that unto our children. But I want us to know that love because... I believe in understanding the nature of God's love unto us as His people. It, listen, it's not just a, a doctrinal belief in the sense of filling in the blank or, or being able to uh, have an, the right choice on, on a multiple choice or answer a true and false question about the love of God. When we understand the love of God more fully and we really bask in that love, believe in that love and trust in that love and live in that love every day and understand that more fully, it will greatly affect us as the people of God. I love Paul's... I learn as a pastor from Paul's prayers that he has for uh, the people he wrote to, for the churches he wrote to. And one of the things he said in Ephesians in chapter 3, one of the things he prayed for, I often want to pray for us but in his prayer for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 through 19 he says this that Christ and this was his prayer as part of his prayer that he's praying there from verse 14 down but he says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth 
and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now just think about that statement, to know something that passes knowledge. The word know there is more speaking of being intimate. To be intimate with God in such a way, to know His love in such a way that it passes knowledge. It, it passes your understanding. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want us to know the love of God that way. Listen, us comprehending more fully and understanding that love more intimately, the love of God that He has for us as His people, it will change our lives drastically. Now one of the points will be later, if we even get to that today, will be it will make you more holy. God's love will do that. That's the effects of it, and we'll look at that. But it changes our life in so many more ways than that. Knowing more of the love of God will cause us as well to be more loving as His children. If we are failing to love our wives, husbands, if we are failing to love our children, if we are failing to love the people around us, then we need to take a step back and, and understand that the reason that that may be is that we are not living in the reality and the comprehension, the understanding, the intimacy of the love of Christ in our life. You cannot give away what you are not receiving. Now God loves us, always. But we do not always live in the reality, the knowledge, the understanding, and the fellowship of that love. And when we fail to do that as His people, we will not be able to relay that love, give that love away that we are experiencing and knowing more fully each day. Some people think of love in just a, in a way where we look at God's Word and we break it down and we say, well, God loves this and God doesn't love that. Or we think maybe the doctrine of election sometimes and, and, and Romans 9 will actually turn there. But yet sometimes people can talk about the love of God in such a dry, ordinary way. Or even I've seen the love of God even talked about in a, believe it or not, a mean-spirited way. And I have to ask myself the question, do they know the love of God at all? Or at least if, if they do, they don't know it very well. The love of God is real and it affects us. It changes us. It challenges us. It encourages us. It liberates us in so many ways. So consider the nature of God's love today. First of all, we want to just stay on this thought for a moment, but in Romans 5, we'll get some of our main thoughts there. We're not giving an exposition of the whole passage we read, but grabbing some main thoughts. Romans 5 and verse 6, understand that the merit or the nature of God's love is that, and I want to express this over and over and over again to you until we get it in our head. God's love to us as His people, listen, it is unmerited. It is unearned before you were saved and after you were saved. 
Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the godly, right? That's not what it says. Christ died for the ungodly. Then he goes to express that love, and and when he says, and giving us a picture of that love later, when he says this, God demonstrates His own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But above that, He says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. He says, Some people might die for a really righteous guy. Yet perhaps maybe a good man, some would even dare to die. But what's He saying is that Christ died for us when we were not righteous, when we were not good. Who's going to die for an unrighteous man? Who's going to die for one that is not good? Who's going to die for one who does not deserve it? Who's going to die for one that cannot earn it? That's what Christ did for us. I didn't deserve it long ago when God saved me at 20 years old. I don't deserve it now. God didn't save me, and now somehow I live in such a way to where God's glad He loved me because I'm just so lovable. There is nothing I can do, nothing you can do to get God to love you, dear child of God, any more than He already does. Listen, that does a lot for me as a child of God. I don't have to run on this performance treadmill and run faster and faster and uphill to somehow attain to such a status to where God would say, I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to love that girl. Boy, I just love them so much more because they're trying harder. I love them so much more because they're being better. That liberates us as children of God to be reminded of that. Though we might understand it with our heads, I wonder how much we live out that in our life. Maybe sometimes we are trying to earn the love of God. I'm not saying that you are lost by doing such, but we can forget the nature of God's love even as the people of God. Quit trying so hard to get God to love you. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, can we do things that pleases our Heavenly Father? Absolutely. Listen, my children can please me, right? Sometimes they do not please me. But it does not change how much I love them. Are you understanding that? (laughs) All right, one person gets it. Good job, Paul. I don't know if we say, preachers are so easy. I I know all this, but do do we live it out mentally, spiritually, by faith? Do we walk in it? Jesus talks about, in John chapter 15, to abide in His love. What's He talking about there? He's not talking about do things so that I will keep loving you. He's talking about intimacy and being close, abiding in the fellowship and the communion of His love. And we're we're going to get to that later. There is nothing any of us can do to deserve the love of God. What have any of us done? We were sinners. We were the ungodly. And yet He chose to love us. 
the famous passage that talks about the doctrine of election in Romans 9, I think sometimes we forget the verses surrounding it. But in Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, uh, here's what it says. For the children having not yet been born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of Him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Child of God, we were against the God before we had done any good or evil. Listen, God didn't love us based upon any sort of good or evil that He foresaw in us. As a child of God, in your own nature, you were against God. You had sinned against Him, rebelled against Him willfully. You fought what was good. We desired to walk in the lust of the flesh. and We were sinners by choice. We were the ungodly, the unlovely, the unlovable. Those that deserve the wrath of God. Yet, Christ died for us. Who would do that? Would you? <laughs> I think back to Romans 5 and what he said, you know, for a righteous man, someone may be scarcely die for. I mean, I, I so much appreciate those who have given their lives for a country. Very admirable, honorable. Absolutely. Who gives their lives for the ungodly? Who walks in to the prison cells and volunteers and says, I want to die for that man on death row. I want to die for him. I want to take his place. I know he's ungodly. I know he deserves capital punishment. I know he does that. I know he did it. I know he's guilty. But I love him so much. I want to take his place and I want him to go free. That's the love of Christ that he has for us. Were we so unworthy that we deserve to be on death row? That's where we were. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But God in His love sent His Son to come and go to death row for us and take the penalty that we deserved. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, if you would, God is expressing His love to uh, the nation of Israel and He's telling us a little bit about His love. But we learn something about the nature, though it is talking to Israel, we do learn something about the nature of God's love here. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6, he says, For you are a holy or a sanctified people to the Lord your God. He's not saying you are a really good people, a really holy people in the sense as we say, well, they were really good people. No, he's saying, I have set you apart as a people. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now before you get all high and mighty, Israel, thinking, boy, we really must be something, the Lord says, 
The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. That's it. And that's it for us. Say, well, why has God done this for me? Why? Because the Lord loves you. And because He would keep His oath, which He swore to your fathers, God has made another oath, another covenant with us between a Father, Son, and the Spirit. And He loves us, and He's going to keep that love, not based upon how great of a people we are. But because He swore an oath to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of a, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Listen, God loves us, and that is it. And there's nothing that we have done to merit, to earn that favor, or to keep that favor. God doesn't love us because we were good. God doesn't love us because of the color of our skin. That has nothing to do with the love of God. God's love towards us covers all kinds of nationalities, ethnicities, colors of the skin, ages, male and female. And they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you, have, for you have been slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. God doesn't love us because of, any, because of where we live, because we're American. <laughs> he doesn't love us because of the language we speak, because we're English. He doesn't love us for any reason like that. Because of what family we were raised in. He doesn't love us because He knew we would be a better person after He saved us. has nothing to do with that. He doesn't love you because you didn't commit this sin. Even though you committed others. God's love is unmerited. And we have got to get that into our heads as a people of God. It's very freeing to understand that and to live in that reality. And folks, I don't always live there. I, I don't think I would ever verbally say, I'm doing this so God will love me. I've never said that. I don't know if I've ever even thought that. <laughs> I'm going to do this so God will love me. But I do have to question some of my internal motives sometimes and why I do what I do. Am I truly doing it because God loves me? Or am I doing it for other reasons? So God's love is unmerited in nature, but God's love is also everlasting to us. It's everlasting to us. We live in a day and age when people can fall in love and fall out of love and fall in love and fall out of love, supposedly. We live in that time and age. But God's love is not that. God's love is not that at all. In Jeremiah 31, 3, He says, Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. 
There's no beginning that we know of of the love of God toward us. But this I do know is that He loved us from before the foundation of the world and will always love us. We need to live not in fear that somehow in heaven we'll just say this for the sake of our finite minds and and thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of years later, God somehow will change His mind and say, boy, I'm going to quit loving these people. That will never happen. His love is everlasting. I'm not a daisy Baptist, right? Where He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. Christ loved us long before we were ever born, ever heard of His name. And listen, He will always love us. And there is nothing in your life that can ever take that away. But there are a lot of things in life that make us question God's love. Tribulations, trials, hardships, the loss of loved ones, loss of job, loss of a child. So many things can can make us say, well, does God still love me? Well, there is a great passage for that, isn't there? Romans 8 says, from the Apostle Paul, it says, for we are persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, anything you're going through, nor things to come, anything you're going to go through, nor height, no matter how tall, how big something may be, no matter, nor depth, no matter how wide something may be, nor any other creature, no matter what you could imagine, none of these things shall be able to separate us from what from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you need to know that. Dear child of God, that no matter what you're going through in this life, no matter what heartache, no matter what trouble, no matter what trial, no matter what voices, no matter your circumstance, your God loves you and nothing can separate you from that. Nothing. Nothing. You see how empowering that is? When we just believe that, accept that, and know that, and walk in that, and live in that, that no matter how bad life gets, no matter what happens, our God loves us. The love of God strengthens us. Back to Daniel 11.32 that we read many times that talks about you know, knowing those who know God shall be strong. And the more we know about God's love for us, it strengthens us. It empowers us. It can burn within our soul and, and it puts out the floods of persecution. The the love of God, as it swells up, it floods out so many negative things in our life. It floods out doubts and fears. He has loved us. He will always love us. I believe that all eternity, we will never get tired or be disamazed at the, the love of God that He has for us. I believe the awe and wonder that we'll have when we first 
stand in the presence of God and we truly know in the fullness of His glory that He loves us. And we stand there without any uh, inhibitions of, of our flesh, of the desires of our mind, but nothing to, to try to convince us otherwise going on in our hearts and minds when we truly bask in the love of God, the, the wonder, the awe, the amazement of that, I don't think we'll ever lose that throughout all eternity. That that God, that Creator, the mighty I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the everlasting God, the Sovereign of all, who sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins, He loves me. Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk in all eternity, basking and walking and knowing intimately the love of God without any doubts at all creeping into your mind? None. Totally free. I'm looking forward to that. But I believe we can walk a little bit more in it now than what we do. I know I can. Say, well, preacher, how do I know that God loves me? <laughs> well, you don't know that God loves you because you don't have troubles anymore. You don't know that God loves you because you don't have tribulations anymore. You don't know that God loves you because an angel spoke from heaven. You don't know that God loves you because, well, he rescued you from death one time, or from a car accident. That's not how you know the love of God. God's people die in car accidents. God's people still experience sickness. God's people still experience troubles and trials like we just mentioned in Romans chapter 8. And so when we look to these things to try to somewhat, and these things happen to us, and then we start doubting God's love, what are we doing? We are saying that God's love is based upon these things. Or they reveal themselves to us in these things, I should say. So how can I know that God loves me? Well, listen, we need, we need a constant reminder of that love that He shows to us at the cross of Calvary. How much does God love us? So how much does God love me? How can I know that, that how much God loves me? Listen, God's love in His unmerited, it is everlasting, and it is sacrificial in the manifestation and the demonstration of that love. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, says this, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Verse 9 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what can God possibly do any more than what He's already done to show you that He loves you? His love is sacrificial in nature. He gave His only Son. Now think of it like this. We said earlier how, imagine the love that somebody would have to walk into death row and see someone who's, who's done vile, ungodly things and say, I'm going to die for Him. I can't imagine that. Would you do that? No. Let's be honest, okay? I know you're not that spiritual. I'm not either. Let's take it a step further. Because that's not all that God did. He walks in there, he sees filthy, vile, ungodly, death row, and he says, 
I'm going to have my son die for them. You see, honestly, it's a little bit, I won't say easier, but for the sake of our own minds, it would be easier for me to say I would die for somebody than to say I'm going to have my son die for somebody. Folks, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't think I could do that. Could you? Would you? Do we understand the depths of God's love? So, preacher, I don't like the picture that paints. Well, one, it paints us really ugly, <laughs> but that's where we're at in our natural sin, right? It, it is filthy and vile, ungodly. It's we're on death row. We deserve eternal wrath. We deserve that. That's us. But that's the love that God had. He says, I will give my son for you. For you. And 1 John 4, verse 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. So where is the love of God displayed? Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, he says, herein is love, not that we loved God. Listen, first of all, it's, it's, I hate to say it like this, but I don't have to say it. It's no big deal if you love God. God's lovable. God should be loved. Everything about God is admirable, is holy, and just, and good. Love is not displayed in a sense where you love a lovable God. God's love is displayed in that He loved us, the unholy, the unjust, those that are not good. In this was manifested the love of God. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. That's not where the love of God is manifested. The love of God is demonstrated in that He loved us. The filthy, the vile, without strength, the ungodly, the rebellious, the whoremongers, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the thieves, the liars, the blasphemers. Of such were some of us. But God sent his son, sacrificially, to die on the cross. Why? Because he loved us that much. And he said, I will not even withhold my son from them. I have a hard time grasping this. <laughs> I've, I've been, a, I've been a, a pastor and a preacher for you know, a good while now. But I still have a hard time hanging on to that love in the sense, I don't, I don't mean, you know what I mean, hanging on to just grasping that. I want to read John chapter 10. I've just realized this has turned into a part two message. Uh, John chapter 10. So this love is sacrificial in its manifestation. In John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not 
on the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the, the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The, the, the Father loves us. The Son loves us. And He shows that the Father willingly gave His Son, but the Son willingly came. The Son willingly came. He says, I lay down my life. When they went to betray Jesus, He said, no man takes my life from me. He said, I could call 12 legions of angels down. I could stop this thing. But He did it out of love for us and love for the Father. To obey the Father. But He loved us and He willingly gave His life. He willingly did that. When you think about the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you think about what He went through, understand that every aspect of His suffering that He endured, He endured willingly. The Bible says He gave His back to the smiters. He gave him his cheeks. He willingly laid down his life. They bound him on the cross, but they didn't have to bind him. They bound him with the hands and nails, but he lovingly gave uh, those hands and his feet. They didn't have to force his hand down to drive the nails in. They didn't have to open a clenched fist. They didn't have to capture a, a welling leg refusing to be nailed to the cross. But He willingly gave His hands. He willingly gave His feet. He willingly gave His back. And when they smote Him on the cheek, He gave the other one. Why would He do such a thing? Because He loves us that much as much as I love my own kids as much as I believe with all my heart I'd be willing to die for them the very act of suffering in that moment what would be so collected in my thoughts to say I willingly want to do this for my children that I would willingly physically bear the manifestation of that willingness by giving my back, giving my, my feet, giving my hands, and just say, here. He loves us that much. I believe with all of my heart that with every ounce of pain that our Savior went through, that the love He had for us was on His mind. I believe that. Because God's love is manifested through the sufferings of our Savior. And so our Savior did that out of love. Can you imagine yourself for a moment 
as the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, is suffering. Can you imagine for a moment Him saying to Himself, I'm doing this because I love Jared. I'm doing this because I love Ken. Folks, I believe that we were on His mind directly. This should transform us. It should change our hearts. Change the way we think. It should liberate us. Empower us. To go out and to display that love by loving others. It should empower us to to talk about that love. When people really love somebody, you can't shut them up. People first fall in love, you know. They got to talk about it to everybody. When you have kids, you got to show their pictures, you know. When you when you have grandkids, you got to show that. You don't care if it's a stranger. Why? You don't. People say, "Well, I, I'm just backward. I can't talk about Jesus." Really? You ever talk about your grandkids to strangers? Do you have you? You ever talk to somebody you didn't know very well? about your kids, they didn't know them very well, they didn't know your, or your grandkids didn't know them very well, but you talked about it with them. Let me tell you what, when we, when we just walk in reality of His love, let me tell you what, I believe we more freely talk about Christ and His love for us. John chapter 15, and verse 13 Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, and to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus was talking to his disciples there. And you know what? He showed us his love. They laid down his life for us. His love is sacrificial. His love is what led him to Calvary. His love is what calls him to hang there between heaven and earth and to endure the wrath of the Father upon him to where he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His love for us. Am I saying that there wasn't any other emotions or thoughts in his mind? No. But I assure you that that was there. He gave all when he gave his life. So how how do I know that God loves me? Behold the Lamb of God. So how do I know that God loves me when I'm going through trouble and trial and tribulation, when I've had this loss? How can I know that God loves me after all the bad things that's happened in my life? Behold Calvary. How can I know that God loves me when after all I've been through in, in my job, after all I've been through in my marriage, after all I've been through with my kids, after all the troubles, after all the trials, after all the sickness, after all the death, after all the disease, how can I know that God loves me? Behold Calvary, the greatest manifestation and demonstration that God could ever possibly give you. He loves us that much. Those temporary things we go through, 
We shouldn't allow them to make us doubt the love of God to us because He loved us that much on the cross. And I believe this, that God loves each one of us specifically as if there were only one of us to love. I kind of think of it like how I do my kids sometimes, you know. Um, my kids, I like, to, I like to tell each one of them that they're my favorite, you know. Make them think I love them more than the other ones, but they all know it's just a joke. <laughs> they know it's not true. But I do want them to know that I love them individually as my child, as much as I possibly can. And I want them to, to have that feeling or emotion like I just love them with all I've got. I believe that helps me in my relationship to them when they understand that love. And folks, let me tell you what. When we love others the way God loves us, it transforms our, all of our other relationships, our, our spousal relationships. When we love each other like this, <laughs> like what we talked about, when we love one another as we have been loved, yeah, it, it affects us a great deal, and it affects people around us when they see that kind of love. And by this kind of love that we live out, by this shall all men know that you are the followers, the disciples, the learners of Jesus. When we love each other like that. I'm going to have to give you part two next week. God bless you. Father in heaven, I pray for your help. Lord, to understand this love more fully. And Father, I pray For one, for us as your people. That we would be set free as your children in regards to how we think. To live in a reality that there's nothing we can do to get you to love us any more than what you already have. Your love is unchanging. It cannot increase. And help us to know that. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those today that have yet to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would behold the Lamb of God, that the love of God would so arrest their hearts and see that there's nothing else, nothing else more important than to know the love of God in Christ and to see that there is nothing that they can do they can't come to church enough. They can't pray enough. They can't be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better child. That they can labor until the, until the fingers bleed. That they can walk as far as they can walk and strive as much as they can strive. But there's nothing they can do to earn your love. Help them to give up. Help them, to, Lord, to, to lay at your feet. And say, Lord, I know there's nothing else I can do. I know there's nothing I can do to make you love me. And Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. As I trust in Jesus Christ and his love and sacrifice for me. Help those that are lost to give up upon performing and trying to appease the holy and righteous God, because they can not. 
and help them to see the love of God manifested at the cross. We pray in Jesus' name and amen.